Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Verses 3 through 8, one more time. And also I want to make a little plug as well. In September was supposed to have been our national ministry conference in Maryville, Tennessee. And as a result of an uptick of COVID in that area, and it was supposed to spike around the time of ministry conference, that was postponed until January, January the 28th and the 29th will be our national ministry conference. That being said, uh, we had a few people going. Registration is still open and always has been open since we didn't have conference. So if you have the ability of having those days, get that Friday off and go, men. I encourage you to go. I am I'm convinced we will just have as big a crowd as any other time. When we was at National Youth Convention, I know even going into that, some people were wondering, listen, it was packed. We still had our 6,000 plus people, and we were the largest checkout day for that hotel since COVID. Because we had so many people there. And uh, I heard one lady, us, of course, with others that are there too. The hotel was, it was sold out. And that's a humongous place. And so people are back out going, doing so on and so forth. So come uh, to ministry, National Ministry Conference, January 28th and 29th. You won't be disappointed if you get there. Amen. Are you at Philippians yet? Amen. I did learn one thing at conference. Don't wear black and red. Because when you do, they think you work for the hotel. Came out of my room and stepped along the little waters there. And the lady said, sir, can I ask you a question? Well, certainly. Do you work here? No, but I've been here several times. Go on and ask. Do you know where Santa Claus is? I said, I don't know where Santa Claus is, is in this building right at this moment. But I do know he's here. So don't wear black and red at the Gaylord. Amen. Philippians chapter number one, starting with verse number three. The Bible says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Again, we are continuing this morning to talk about a pastor's joy and prayer. The Apostle Paul, amen, his joy and prayer, amen, concerning the Philippians, amen, and things in general. Let us pray today, Father we come to you this morning god we're so grateful lord jesus for your many blessings we're grateful lord and we continue to be thankful lord jesus god as we have celebrated lord the holiday this week but god we continue to have a heart of thanksgiving lord jesus toward you for the many things that you have bestowed in our lives and the blessings that you have introduced into our lives god i pray now help us lord to open your word god and lord jesus just allow it god to walk into our hearts and lives continue to train and teach and 
educate us and will not fail to thank you for it in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen of the church say amen hallelujah you may be you may be seated this morning in Jesus name amen last week we talked about uh, the Apostle Paul and the church of Philippi and we spoke along the lines of a few different things about how primarily something that brought Paul joy was that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ the death the burial and the resurrection was being preached was being taught although he found himself in stocks and bonds and in imprisonment another thing that brought Paul joy was that the church that he founded back in the book of Acts chapter number 16 the church that he founded was continuing in their life lived for the Lord in spite of his absence that they were continuing on and he says to us as we have made mention that they had this fellowship which if you'll remember from last week is really a participation. They had a participation in the gospel with Paul from the very first day that he introduced this gospel to them even until now, until the present moment. And we looked how the Bible even spoke, how Paul said, now I'm confident of the Lord. He places now his confidence in the Lord about this, this work, this good work, continuing in them from the beginning all the way until the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at the mode that we, we are not just... Uh, Idle, idle people along the sidelines and it's whatever happens to us, but we are participants in what takes place as well. We are in a joint partnership in what the Lord is doing and what we are doing alongside and with the Lord, amen, to bring about some things in our life, namely our growth in the gospel and our continuance in the gospel as well. And we kind of ended last week with the question about what would the church look like or what would our personal lives look like if we truly partnered with God. What would the church and our lives look like if we partnered with God and allowed and helped maybe even forward motion, if you will, those things that he desired to take place in our own lives. That the church of Philippi was birthed in prayer, it would continue in prayer, that what would our lives look like if we had a daily maintenance of prayer that was continuing us and furthering us in our walk, in our relationship with the Lord. And so when we begin to consider this, and we're probably going to be somewhere around verse number 7, giving some consideration to things, we understand then that the Apostle Paul, his leadership, his leadership actually seeped into the church of Philippi. Again, the church was started with prayer started with prayer along that riverbank outside of Philippi in Acts chapter number 16, but also the Apostle Paul, the founder of the church, was not a man that was formed to prayer either. All right. Not only was it birth because Lydia was out there and a few of the ladies and they decided to pray. But Paul, the founder, was not a man formed to prayer either. We will find later in Acts chapter 16 where that church was founded that Paul and another companion of his called Silas because of this preaching and sharing of the gospel among Philippi and uh, they, they were kind of trying to pin on them that they are brought some new doctrine and they are perverting, if you will, the ways of the people. The Bible says that Paul and Silas was taken. They were incarcerated back in Acts 16. They were put in stocks and bonds in Acts 16, put into the inner prison, the Bible says, for their teaching. And the scripture says in Acts 16 and verse 25, and at midnight, night many of you know this story and at midnight Paul and Silas first in the list prayed 
and sang praises unto God. And so Paul, as the founder, as the pastor, if you will, his leadership seeped into the Philippian church because all the way back then when it was founded, he was and continues to be even now, as we see in Philippians, a man of prayer. Amen. Whenever circumstances even doesn't, you know, he's in prison, Brother Trout. But he's a praying man. I've all, I've preached along Acts 16, verse 25, and those several times. And my, my, my plea is always this. Paul and Silas wasn't praying because of their circumstances. They were praying in spite of. They were praying because that's what they did. That was a continuation, a daily interaction of their life. Circumstances didn't make them pray. I'm sure they felt good about praying since they were in what they were in. But they were praying because that's what they did on a regular basis. That, that was the custom, the habit. That was the relationship that they had formed in the, with the Lord. That regardless whether in prison or out of prison, we pray. Amen. And that's, that's, a, that's a great type of custom, if you want to call it that, or practice to adopt. That whether in trouble or out of trouble, I pray. Uh, mountain or valley, I pray. Whether it's going for me or going against me, I pray. Amen. And so that's what the church was established on in Philippi. Amen. Their founder and their leader had that type of mentality. So even now, the Philippians, Paul's once again, here he is in prison, right? He's in prison once again here in the book of Philippians, and yet he is thanking God. And it should not surprise us then that Paul is, as it's spoken here in the first few verses, that he is pray, praying in prison. Amen. And his prayer in Acts 16, uh, the, the prisoners heard them praying. They heard their singing. And the Bible says whenever all this began to happen, that there was an earthquake. It made all the doors on the prison ajar. They could have escaped, but they didn't. But no doubt in the back of Paul's mind, I was in prison before and I continued a life of prayer and I was delivered from prison. Amen. If it happened before, who says it couldn't happen again? And it didn't happen exactly like before, but God did come through, amen, for the apostle Paul. And I even presume, and maybe Paul presumed this, that if prayer can birth the church, then it can safeguard me and comfort me or any individual for that matter, even during some difficult times. Amen? Amen. I know, uh, personally, I've drawn great consolation from prayer. I can go into prayer with things bad and feeling bad about the things that are about me and just something just about talking to God about it. It, does, it might not have changed the circumstance, but it changes how I start to feel about what's going on at that moment. Amen. It does. It really, truly can. And so Paul talks about every prayer here that he has for the Philippians, that he does it with joy, and he's making requests for them with joy. As a matter of fact, prayer, you can see Paul throughout several of the epistles that he is a praying man. There's several recorded prayers of Paul that he prayed for himself, that he prayed for the churches that he established. And something interesting in the prayers that Paul prayed for the churches, and you note this in your New Testament as you read those different places, when he prays for the churches, he, he isn't most of the time praying for their physical needs. He's not praying for the physical needs of the church. He's not even praying for the growth. He's not even praying for the growth of the church. You know what predominantly Paul prays about when he prays for the churches? He prays for their spirituality. Prays for their maturity and their growth in that area. 
Their spirituality, their spiritual warfare. One place that you may reference, maybe later on your own time, is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, where the Apostle Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. Some of the things that he prays concerning them, he even tells them. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Here's another church, another group of people. I don't cease to give thanks for you or, or to mention you in my prayers. And what he prays for them is this. God, give this church, give these people a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's a great prayer. As a matter of fact, whenever I was doing studying along these lines, I'm thinking I need to adopt some of these prayers for FAC as the Apostle Paul had for his church. He said also, he said, give them a spirit of understanding and enlightenment. Great prayers for people of God. He says, let them know the hope of their calling. Huh? Have you been called to be Christians, called to be a saint of God? He said, let them know the hope of their calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Woo! Becoming a child of God, you become an heir to an inheritance that is so vast, so rich, so important. He says, let them realize what they've, what they've been born into. They've been born into now being an heir of inheritance that's rich in glory. He later says in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19, praying for the Ephesian church, he says, the Lord grant them according to your riches of glory. I like that. Not, not their own riches, but according to your riches, grant it unto them. Strengthen them by the might, not of their human spirit, but of thy spirit. Amen. That's great prayers. He said that, Lord, that you would do well in their hearts by faith, not by feeling, not by what they see, but by faith. Because we know, Brother Mason says it all times in the close of Scripture, you're dismissing Jesus' name. We walk by faith, not by And that's biblical. And that's biblical. He says, Lord, let them know that, that you are there, that you're dwelling in their hearts by their faith. Let them be rooted and grounded in love. He speaks to them. He said, let them, I like this, comprehend the vastness of God. Because sometimes our real view of God is really lower than what it actually is. Hmm? Amen. Our faith. He says, let them know the love of Christ. Let them be filled with the fullness of God. He prays for the church of Colossae in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11. Again, he says he ceases not to pray for them. And some of this stuff is overlap. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, wisdom, spiritual understanding. He prays. This is one I like as a pastor. Great prayer. He says, Lord, let these people walk worthy of you and be pleasing to you. This is a pastor's joy and prayer. Pastor's joy and prayer. Let them walk worthy of you. And the word worthy, and, and I've, I've, we've viewed this before. It's kind of like a scale. That's what the word worthy, it means bringing up the opposite beam. It means they've been called to be a saint. That weighs down the scale. But their walk needs to bring that up. It equalizes it. They need to be equal to what they've been called into according to their walk. Let them be fruitful in every good work. Let them increase, increase. Everybody say increase. Increase in the knowledge of God. I just want to start my relationships. There we go. Good enough. Let them increase, grow, mature in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might by his glorious power, having patience, long-suffering, along with joyfulness. We sing the old song, I'm a happy Christian. Yes, I am. Huh? Okay. Well, case in point. No, I'm joking. As a Jew, Paul was a Jew. 
born a Roman, a Roman citizen as well. But as a Jew, it would be Paul's custom to make prayers at least three times a day. At least three times a day. I mean, there are several opportunities then for the Apostle Paul. He says, in, in every prayer that I make, I mention you or think of you. There would be several then opportunities to remember and pray for the Philippian church, the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus, and many other churches. And so here's Paul in prison in a deplorable situation himself, but he's still thinking about the saints of Philippi and others. The saints, he tells them in verse number 7, that they were not far from his mind whenever he prayed. It was not far from his mind, was not far from his heart. He says, you are in my heart whenever I pray. And I think this illustrates well the pastoral link to the saints. Meaning this, Paul says, I've got problems. You've got problems. But it doesn't preclude me from praying for you. Hmm. You got it bad? I got it bad right now. But that doesn't keep me from praying for you. What I'm getting at is this. We can still pray for others when we are having bad times. Amen. Someone say amen. That's what Paul says. He says, it's bad right now. You got it bad, but I'm going to pray for you nonetheless. Because if we don't watch it sometimes, then we will just believe we should just be on the receiving end because we got it bad. Everybody should have been praying for Paul. He's in prison for crying out loud, waiting for execution. Paul says, but I remember you whenever I pray. And so this relationship that Paul had with the saints at Philippi was what we might call a symbiotic relationship. Symbiotic relationship is one where both each party benefits. It's kind of like I scratch your back, you scratch my back type of scenario. A symbiotic relationship. It's kind of like the bee and flower relationship. The flower gets benefits from the bee landing on it, Right? Because the pollen gets on its legs and it's going to help pollinate flowers in doing so. But the bee also gets something from the relationship as well. And so there's this, this, this ebb and flow between the two. For instance, a symbiotic relationship we could talk about in Genesis chapter 24. In Genesis chapter 24, the servant of Abraham, it's real long. The servant of Abraham was sent out to find a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac. And so one of the signs that he was praying to the Lord, that servant prayed to the Lord that he had found the right woman, found the bride for Isaac. He said, Lord, if whenever they come out to get water at the well, if they not just water, offer me water, but they offer my camels water also, then I know that that will be the woman. And so that's great. That's exactly what happened. Rebecca came out. She offered water unto, Abra uh, unto Abraham's servant and also uh, said that she would water his camels also. But here's the neat thing about the symbiotic relationship that happened there that's not really in the forefront of Scripture. Rebecca was watering the very camels that would later carry her to her groom hey man that was she helped those camels in a moment and those camels going to help her take her to her forever mate here just a little later and so in the philippians in philippians the book of philippians there's such a relationship between paul and the church that is found there there's this ebb and flow of prayer paul here it is paul prays for the philippians but you go down a little further in chapter 1, like verse number 19, and the Philippians, it indicates that the Philippians also pray for Paul. 
The Bible says in chapter in verse number 19 of chapter 1, Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. So it wasn't just he praying for them. It was that they were also praying for him. Amen. And in each setting, when Paul prays for them or when they've prayed for Paul, there is a link in the scripture as you read. There's joy. There's rejoicing. There is benefit from both parties involved, which tells me there is a sense, Bishop, of joy linked with prayer. It's a sense of joy linked with prayer. Paul always prays for the Philippians with joy. Number one, because they've stayed partners with the gospel since they began until now. Prayers for the people, amen, in good standing with God. Listen, listen, it's kind of like this. Paul remembers them, he prays for them. It's joyful because they're in good standing with God. That makes his heart swell. That makes him joyful. Someone say amen. What I'm saying, it is a joy to pray for those that are walking in relationship with the Lord and growing in the Lord and maturing in the Lord. It sorrows me in prayer. As a pastor, it sorrows me in prayer when I see them diverting and I'm in that mode of, oh God! And tears are coming down my face because I'm afraid of what may be happening. Amen. Amen. But when I see that they've grown, when I, when I see they've taken up a new task around the church, when I see, man, I'm praying with joy, I'm like, oh, get them Jesus. And, and man, this is great. And so on and so forth. Because they are in good standing as they begun, they have continued, amen, their walk in relationship with the Lord. They shared in the gospel. Amen. Even Paul's work. Paul says he had them, again, verse 7, upon his heart. Amen. Listen, only God truly could tell how concerned Paul was for the saints. Amen. Because the, the concern many times was expressed in his prayer with only God as his audience. Nobody else was around but God. So only God truly knew how concerned Paul was, amen, for the saints. But being that they were in his heart, upon his heart, it makes me think of the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, outside of having a founder of a church or a pastor, you had a priest row in the Old Testament. And the priest row, the Bible says, that he had a, a breastplate that was upon him that he would wear into the presence of God. And on that breastplate were 12 stones with all the different tribes of Israel that were engraved upon them. And on his shoulders, each was a stone upon his shoulders when he went into the presence of God. And on one stone was six of the tribes' names. And on the other stone was the other six tribes' names. And so when he literally went into the presence of the Lord, he had the people that he was representing, the tribes, on his heart and on his shoulders. Every time he went before the presence of the Lord, those people were on his heart and on his, He never, as a matter of fact, that was the garb for going into the presence of the Lord. There was never a time he went in without them being on his heart and on his shoulders. And that is a good description of a pastor. That's a great description of the founder of the church of Paul in the New Testament. There's not one time we go into the presence of the Lord that the people that we are over are not upon our hearts and upon our shoulders before the Lord. Amen. And what that means this for the Old Testament priest is this in symbolic form of them being there. Whatever he experienced in the presence of God, they by symbolism experienced because they were on his heart. 
and they were upon his shoulders. And so the Philippian church, Paul tells them in verse 7, he said, you've been partakers of my grace. You've been partakers of my grace. I was in bonds just as much as whenever I went about defending the gospel and confirming the gospel. You were partners with me then and you are partners with me now. Your feet's not in stocks and bonds, but you're my people. You're my church. I hold you up on my heart. Amen. And so you are a partaker, not just of my woes, but you are a partaker of my grace as well. Let's look at verses 9 through 11, if you will, today. Amen. Verse number 9. And this I pray, Paul continues praying, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. God. Paul prays that their love abounds. The word abound there, that their love would be in excess. That their love would be in excess. In a few different aspects. In a few different aspects of the gospel. In a few different aspects of their Christian life. In other words, he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He doesn't want, his, he doesn't want the saints to be ignorant. He wants their love to abound in knowledge. Why, what's the deal with that? Well, let's go to the Old Testament of Hosea because ignorance has a cost. Hosea said, Hosea 4 and 6, he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Let me break it down like this in the context in which this was spoken to Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What was that lack? They, they, they were not grasping the totality of who God was or how to worship him. They were, at this moment, practicing idolatry. They, they, they did not learn, amen, the full revelation of who he is and how to worship him. And so they were practicing idolatry. And he says, because of your lack of knowledge, he says, this is destroying you. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, oh my. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Listen, there's no excuse for ignorance. There's no excuse for ignorance. I'm talking church context, okay? Second Peter 1 and 3, and I don't think I have it up there, but the Bible spoke, and we did our study in Peter one time. His divine power, someone say Holy Ghost. His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to the glory and virtue. When you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, we've been studying it in our, our John Gospel series. What does it do? It leads you, it guides you into all truth. It becomes the teacher to you that Jesus was to the disciples when he walked upon the earth. It's his spirit in us. No excuse for ignorance. And Hosea, he said, you're ignorant because you rejected the knowledge. No excuse for ignorance. Amen. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's telling the Philippians, I don't want you. I want you to abound. I want your love to be in excess. Amen. And abound in knowledge. Paul wanted them to grow in love. All right. And the Bible, what's the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us in Romans that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? This is scripture by the Holy Ghost. 
The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. But love, again, should abound. Love should grow in our lives and the lives of believers and the church in knowledge, according to Paul and Philippians, in knowledge and judgment. Now, here's the problem. Because as soon as we say judgment in today's world, everybody's thinking about somebody being judged. Bless God, don't judge me. That stuff that just makes me sick. He says, but I want your love to grow in knowledge and judgment. The word judgment there, more appropriately labeled discernment. Ooh, ooh. I want you to grow in knowledge and in discernment. Right? Discernment. Hmm. Interesting. Here's the thing. Talking about growing in love, in knowledge, and judgment. And we're not done with judgment. We'll get back to it. But in Acts 16, where the church was founded, the Philippian church, Look at Lydia, that first convert there. She no sooner received the words of Paul than her love then opened up her life and her heart that we read that she now opens her house to all of them as guests. For that matter, the jailer of Acts 16, the one that laid the stripes on Paul and Silas's back and then they're freed and he's afraid of his own life, going to take it maybe because he's thinking all these jail people and he knows if any of them leave, it's his life or theirs. That was the law. That was the custom. If any escaped, he's a dead man because he's the one that should be watching over them. But after his experience and conversion of love and just its initial growth, Brother Malone, he's abounding so much in love from his initial experience and it fostered in him a very, very soothing, gracious spirit that now he's taken those same men, Paul and Silas, and he's taken them to the water to cleanse their wounds. That's on their back where they'd originally sat in stalks. Now he's got them down to the water. And, and, and this is always amazing when I read this in Scripture, and this is just kind of extra on the side. The same water that he used to soothe their physical wounds, he was baptizing for his spiritual aspect. He and his household. Now, listen to me. You are better to discern right from wrong and appropriate from inappropriate and what pleases God from what doesn't when you abound in love of knowledge. It's hard to make a proper judgment or proper discernment when you have no knowledge to base it on. Hmm? Well, which do you think tastes better? I don't know. I've never tasted them. Right? There's, there's no discernment because there's no knowledge. God help me. See, we, we sometimes walk down wrong roads and wrong paths because we've never abounded in knowledge to make a proper choice. Judgment. Knowledge. It's hard to make an educated decision when you have no knowledge about the options, all right, or about the preferred outcome of what you choose. One of the marks of maturity in real life is the ability to make judgments and discernments. You give a child an option concerning certain things, an adult option concerning things, it's going to look vastly different, right? Do you want candy or do you want the steak? Or, you know, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It looks, because discernment is deeply connected with maturity. Uh, for instance, you know, uh, a young kid, not, not always, but a young kid, you know, they point at a vehicle and it's like, 
Yeah, look at that car. Car. You know, you have, uh, you have a mature teen or maybe adult, and it's according to who they are. They might say concerning the same vehicle, that's a 1973 Corvette, and it's got, you know, judgment, discernment. It's a generality for the child. It's more specific, more specific for the adult. There could, the car label would be the Volkswagen, the Pinto, and the Lamborghini, all of them. But for the adult, knowledge, right? I mean, I don't know everybody, every day someone says, hey, there goes the Pinto. But if the Lamborghini went by, you, knowledge gives a certain level of discernment. Amen. And so Paul knew that the success of the Philippian church, finishing well, someone say finishing. You know, the success of the Philippian church finishing well had a lot to do with their love for truth, which would in return affect their judgment, their discernment. We're always a work in process. We know that. We're always a work in process. And we should always be maturing in the Lord. Yes, and that was Paul's prayer for them. He says, but I want you to grow in these areas. So whenever there are options or things that enter your life that you need to discern what is right, what's wrong. What's appropriate, what's inappropriate. What's going to have the better outcome for me as a Christian? Mm -hmm. Someone say amen. And so he prays. This is his prayer then for him. I like this. He prays that ye may approve things that are excellent. I'll read it from the Amplified. That you may learn to recognize and treasure what is excellent. From the New Living Translation. I want you to understand what really matters? Huh? Notice that the quality that we must approve, Paul says, he said, I don't want you to prove what's, what's not good. I don't want you to prove what's fine. I don't want you to even approve what's better. I want you to approve what is excellent. How, how can you approve that that's excellent? It takes discernment. That takes knowledge. You must abound the love in each of those things. So I want you to prove excellent things because approving excellent things are based upon all those others. Look what the Bible says in Romans 2 and verse 18. It says these words. It says, approves the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. Now, this is important. Approval is guided by the law. All right. Approval is guided by the law, but it's inspired by love. We have two things coming in. Whenever Jesus came, God manifested in the flesh. In John 1, 14, we speak about we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. The Bible says in Galatians that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and it was. But we are not absent of the law today. There needs to be a marriage of love and law. There needs to be a marriage of love and law because the law helps us approve, amen, and love helps us to be inspired to approve, amen, what is right and proper for our lives. He prays this. He says, I pray that you'll be sincere and without offense unto the end. Who might we offend? Well, we offend each other all the time, but what we really need to be without offense is, is without offending God. We stand before the Lord someday at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't want to be offense to him. Amen. 
He says, I want you to grow. I want you to mature. Amen. Until that day, I want you, I want you to do this, that you'll be sincere. The word sincere means without wax. Woo-hoo. It goes back to old custom. They had potters and they would make pottery. And sometimes when they would go through the kiln, it would cause cracks. Sometimes they would be flawed and there would be cracks in the pottery. And they would take wax and they would melt it and they would put it in the cracks. All right. And let it let it just seal. And to just the commoner's eye, it looked like, man, that is a great that is a great vessel right there. But they could take that same vessel, set it in the sun, and the sun would reveal all the spots where it was filled in with wax, its flaws. He says, I don't want you to wear a facade and try to cover up. I I want you to be sincere. I want you to be holy, sure, without wax, that you're... It comes with this, that, that without wax or sincere word also speaks of being shaken to and fro in a sieve. Like uh, my mom used to have a little flour thing and you would, it's like a little sieve and it, the bigger pieces are stuff that might have got it. You know, years ago, you might actually get some piece of the stem and stuff in there, you know, uh, back, back when, you know, I know we got some old people here. <laughs> Amen. But you would keep what was needful and necessary and the rest would be kept back. He says you need to be sincere without wax, that that shaking back and forth, the keeping of what is good away from that which is not usable. Philippians 1 and verse number 11, he said, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Let's say it like this, being filled with the right spirit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, goodness, long-suffering, meekness, right? Temperance which are by Jesus Christ unto glory and praise of God. And you can stand with me this morning. Glory and praise of God. Being filled, that's the word in verse 11, being filled in the Greek. This don't mean anything to you, but let me explain it. It's in the perfect passive participle, which means this, not being filled, but having been filled. Having been filled. In other words, that, 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 that perfect passive a participle, again, doesn't mean anything to you. Anytime that crops up in Greek grammar, it's something that happened in the past but has a continuing result. He says, being filled, or if you will, literally, having been filled, it happened. He said, with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ and to the glory and praise of God. Again, it's by Jesus Christ, it's through our submission, and it happened back then, but it continues. What did he say more than once? From the first day until now, he, I'm confident the Lord will keep what he has begun. It will be happened to the day of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? It happened in the past, but its results are continuing even until now. And that's the type of relationship, a pastor, that's the type of relationship that the Lord wants his saints to have with him. One that had an experience in the past, but whose results are continuing even unto now. Been in church five years, they're continuing. Been in church 10 years, continuing. You like Elder and Sister Mickey back there, and they came over. They came over with Noah on the ark, continuing. Doesn't matter. All of us are in this continuance process of the results even until now. Someone say amen. Amen. Because don't you want to grow in the Lord? Growth. Really grow in the Lord. And mature in the Lord. I mean, the dynamic physically is that's not happening. There's something wrong with the child. There's something wrong with the baby. Right? 
There's something not, you're going to investigate that. Well, honestly, if we don't do that as newborn babes in Christ, there's something there. There, there, There's some disconnect somewhere. Amen. We want to grow. Amen. In the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. We bow our heads. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.